morning, everyone. I'd like to uh, make a little announcement this morning, if I may, and that is I want to just remind you that this year is the year of the Rise Up Conference. Uh, it will be held in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Murfreesboro, Tennessee, that's somewhere near Nashville. Uh, speakers will be Mr. Joe Reese, so if you uh, enjoy this week, you can come and get more. Uh, also, Scott DeGroff, some of you know Scott, and Roy Hill from England. And uh, the theme this year is going to be overcoming apathy in the church. And I feel that's very needful. And I know some of you have been to Rise Up conferences before, uh, but a lot of you haven't. And part of it is there's a middle wall of partition in this country called the Rockies. And uh, it's the other side of the partition. But you know what? You, you're allowed to cross the partition. It, 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 nothing's going to happen to you. It's kind of legitimate. You can go there. But I, I trust that it really will be a great conference. And I want to encourage you. December 30th to January the 2nd, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, the website riseupconference.org, I think. Okay, so I just want to encourage you with that. Okay, can you turn with me please to the book of Numbers again? And I want to just do uh, two short readings. Numbers 1, chapter 1, verse 17 through 20, and Numbers chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. So Numbers 1, 17... It says, And Moses and Aaron took these men, which are expressed by their names, and they assembled all the congregation together on the first day of the second month, and they declared their pedigrees after their families by the house of their fathers, according to the number of the names from twenty years old and upward by their poles, as the Lord commanded Moses. So he numbered them in the wilderness of Sinai, and the children of Reuben, Israel's eldest son, by their generations after their families, by the house of of their fathers according to the number of the names by their poles, every male from 20 years old and upward, all that were able to go forth to war. And then, uh, please, Numbers chapter 2 and the first three verses. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron, saying, Every man of the children of Israel shall pitch by his own standard with the ensign of their father's house, far off about the tabernacle of the congregation shall they pitch. And on the east side toward the rising of the sun shall they of the standard of the camp of Judah pitch throughout their armies. And Nashon, the son of Amminadab, shall be captain of the children of Judah. And again, we believe God will bless the reading of his precious word to us. Uh, we're looking at this section that looks at the, the old generation. And we said that that really is uh, these chapters, really chapters 1 through 14 looks at the old generation. And the first 10 chapters is all about ordering this group. We said that basically these are freed slaves. They've come out of Egypt and God is now preparing them for a massive invasion of enemy territory with walled cities and all the rest of it. And so somehow there's got to be some discipline and order that's brought into these people. And we we said that yesterday uh, that in a very real sense, uh, it's the same for us. When we got saved, uh, we also got enlisted. 
we're soldiers in the army and we're meant to be invading enemy territory. There's parts of this world still in the grips of darkness that need the liberating message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and we are responsible for that. We're under uh, the, the command of our commanding officer who has said to us, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so we're soldiers, we're in a conflict and we have to take the fight to the enemy and we have to, as it were, conquer the land for the name and for the honor of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we need to start thinking about that. The Christian life is not a playground. It is a battleground. And the sooner you realize that, it will help you to really understand Christianity. It's not a playground. It's a battleground. We mentioned, and I'll just say it again, that we don't get our theology uh, from Southern Gospel music and therefore Canaan is not heaven because they were kicked out of there and we said it really is the heavenlies. And uh, much of our warfare actually takes place wrestling not with flesh and blood but with principalities and powers in heavenly places. And we as Christians are meant to be seated with Christ in heavenly places. And so the idea is this, that there are people that are truly redeemed but they really not have never really entered into their inheritance and they're just kind of in the wilderness. They're just going around in circles. And maybe I'm speaking to somebody here like that. You're really not making much progress spiritually. You're just kind of going in circles. This week, we want to get you out of that kind of treadmill of going around in circles and get you into the heavenlies and help you to enjoy your Christian experience and, and be what God intends you to be. And this book will help us. Now, as we look at the first four chapters, I want to just mention that, first of all, what we've got in chapter one is the numeration of the adult males, 20 years old and upwards, according to their tribes. And then in chapter two is the distribution of the tribes. And uh, there was a handout given out yesterday. Uh, if you didn't get one, I don't know if there's any left. I, I, I gave them to somebody to hand out, but uh, make sure you can see one. And it basically shows how God had ordered the camp. We're going to speak a little bit about that this morning. Uh, not a whole lot. If you didn't get one, you'll still be able to understand what we're saying. But basically, numeration of adult males, chapter 2, distribution of the tribes, where they were to be placed, and God had a place for everyone. Each of the tribes had their own place. It was all determined by God. It wasn't up to them. I think we need to realize that, that God is sovereign and in control in this whole thing. It's not left to man's imagination or man's ideas. God is the one who assigns where they were to be. And God has got a place for you where he wants to use you in his service. And it's good to find out where God wants you and to be in that place and to be useful uh, in the service of God. Chapter 3 is the numeration of Levite males. Uh, we're going to see a distinction between the, 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 the other tribes and the tribe of Levi. Uh, they're to be uh, enumerated in chapter 3. And then chapter 4 is the distribution of the Levite duties, what each Levite uh, was supposed to do based on family groupings. But before we get there, I want to point something really important out that we saw in chapter 1. And that is this, that... Um, there were 12 men from each of the 12 tribes that were appointed to stand with Moses and Aaron as this census was taken, as they went to each tribe. And one of the things that, that had to be maintained as they, as they went through this list of people was that each person had to be able to declare their pedigree. 
And I want you to notice that verse 18 of chapter 1. They assembled all the congregation together. Uh, that's Sorry, that, yeah, that's it. Um, on the first day of the second month, and they declared their pedigrees after their families by the house of their fathers, according to the number of the names from 20 years old and upward by their poles. In other words, they had to be able to establish that they really did belong to the specific tribe that they were genuinely of the tribe of Dan or the tribe of Judah or the tribe of Ephraim. In other words, they, they had to be able to declare their pedigree. And um, the, the reason for that, uh, if we look at Numbers chapter 11, we're going to see something here. Numbers 11 and verse 4. Numbers 11 verse 4 says this, And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? And so what we find is that not everybody that came out of Egypt was actually a genuine Israeli. Right? Uh, they, They weren't all of the 12 tribes of Israel. And part of the reason was that God spoiled Egypt. There was nothing left. After these plagues had gone through Egypt, who would want to stay there? The place was bankrupt. It was shot. And so a lot of people said, well, we're not staying here. (laughs) We might as well go with these people. It's obvious that God is with them because they had witnessed that, for instance, when there was darkness over the land of Egypt, there was light in their dwellings amongst the Israelites. And they said, these people, we're going to go with them. And so some of them went with them, but they really were not of them. They really weren't the people of God. There was a mixed multitude. You know, I want to tell you something that... I believe in a group like this, there's a mixed multitude. There are those that can really clearly declare their pedigree. They can say without hesitation, I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him until that day. But there are others in this group that are really not truly born again. And the point is this. We don't want you fighting in the wars of the Lord if you don't belong to Him. Because you'll be the first one to stab us in the back. That's for sure, right? We want to make sure that you really are who you really say you are. And so there's a need to be able to declare your pedigree. To be able to to say with certainty that I am a Christian. That I'm truly born again. And, And again, just because you're here does not mean that you have had that experience. A lot of people are fascinated by genealogies. My father was studying his genealogy. It was very depressing for me because I've always disliked the French. And it turns out that we go back to the Norman line. You know, we're from France after all. And so it's, it's self-hatred. I mean, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, um, the, yeah, that's just that's the way it was. And so anyway, I just what's interesting is people want to look at their genealogies. But I want to tell you something. Your genealogy all takes you back to one place, to Adam. You're part of the Adams family. And I want to tell you, the Haddams family is a horror story from day one. <laughs> and you need to change family from the Adams family into the Jesus Christ family. And you know how you got in the Adams family was by birth. How you get into the Jesus Christ family is by the new birth. You need to be born again. To end the horror story of the Adams family, you must be born again. 
so that you could declare your pedigree and say, I truly am a child of God. And then you see, you can fight the, the wars of the Lord. And of course, the other thing is, there may be somebody here and you really are born again, but you really struggle with assurance. In other words, you kind of wonder, am I or aren't I? I mean, you think you had an expert, but you're just not really sure. And part of the difficulty is, in the heat of the conflict, you don't want to be filled with doubts. You're going to be vulnerable. You're going to be, you're going to be a problem. It really is important to settle the issue of your pedigree. I like to say, do you know that you know that you know that you know that you're saved? Boy, I tell you, it's a wonderful thing to know. And I encourage you, don't leave here until you settle the issue. So that we could say to you, can you declare your pedigree? And you can tell us without any shadow of doubt, I trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and I was born again by the Spirit of God and I'm a child of God and I don't have a single doubt in my mind. And then I'll tell you, you can fight for the Lord. <laughs> because you're not fighting this internal doubt and conflict all the time. It's a settled issue. I can tell you, I was saved on the 16th of June, 1981. And from that day to this, I have never for a single second doubted that I'm a child of God. Does it mean that I've lived a perfect life? No. But I have a perfect Savior. And I am fully confident that when I trusted the Word of God, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And you know what I know something about God? God cannot lie. Amen. Not that He doesn't choose to lie, chooses not to lie. He cannot lie. And so when He says, whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life, you know what He, what, what he means? He means what He says. Oh, it's a wonderful thing to know, isn't it? I hope that you can declare your pedigree because it's a very important thing. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Isn't that, that's, that's the language of certainty and assurance. They're people that can declare their pedigree. Can you do that? Notice as well that it tells us that these soldiers uh, that were enlisted had to be 20 years old and upward. And um, the idea is this, that they, they needed to be of sufficient age, strength, maturity to be able to serve the Lord. And the other thing is that the best years of their life were given in divine service. Now, I want to just say something here because God has his exceptions. We always need to remember that. The standard was 20 years old and upwards. But you know, one of, David's, uh, one of God's uh, greatest warriors was a fellow called David. And you know, when he was just a youth, he killed a giant called Goliath. Remember that? In fact, as he, as he offered to go and you know, he said, this, this Philistine is defying the armies of the living God. Is there not a cause, you see? And they said to him, you're nothing but a youth. But he said, well, I've already killed a, a lion and a bear. You know, what's, what's a giant? Uh, let me at him. And so what I'm saying is, normally, by 20, you ought to be ready to fight in the wars of the Lord. You, you should be ready for, for action at 20 years of age. But if you're 17, or you, you could be a Daniel, 
He was just a teenager. You could be a David. He was just a teenager. You could be, remember Zechariah last year? Zechariah started prophesying when he was a teenager. So what I'm saying to you is, by 20, you ought to be ready to fight in the wars of the Lord. But if you're younger, just roll your sleeves up and get involved. That's, this is it. Now's the day of opportunity. But by 20, by you ought to be ready. And the tragedy is, there are some, sadly, amongst us that are getting closer to 30 and 40 and they're still not ready for the walls of the Lord. Because they're so caught up with this world, they haven't really fully left Egypt behind. And they're not really taking the fight to the enemy. In fact, the enemy doesn't bother them at all because they're no threat to him whatsoever. So we said last night to the young people, it's time to get serious. Folks, I want to tell you, it's time to get serious. I want to tell you something, the devil is serious. He is deadly serious. I want to tell you something, God is serious. He is so serious that he sent his son into this world. That's serious, isn't it? The Lord Jesus is serious, serious enough to go to the cross to die for you. The Spirit of God is serious. I want to tell you, He is really serious about your commitment and your service of the Lord. So if, if, if divine persons and, and the devil himself is serious, my question is, why are you not serious? What's wrong? It's time to get serious here. Beings far greater than you are deadly in earnest about this stuff. And here are you, apathetic, indifferent, couldn't care less. Folks, wake up. It's time to get serious. There's a war going on. And we need to make sure that we're ready for the conflict. You know, it is interesting that the, one of the things the devil likes to do is what we call this mixed multitude. You know that he sowed tares among the wheat. Part of the problem with that is that tares don't have the same appetite as wheat. In a, in a very real sense. You remember Judas? He was one of the twelve, wasn't he? And uh, he was involved. When the Lord sent him out two by two, Judas went. And so he, he, was, he was doing everything. But you know what? He didn't really have the same appetite. When that woman broke that alabaster ointment and poured it on the, the feet of the Savior in a beautiful act of worship and foresight. She, she knew that he was going to the cross. She was ahead of the game. A lot of the guys, they'd heard it many times and they didn't believe it for a minute, but she did. And you know the amazing thing is, you know what Judas said? Why this waste? And you see, the problem is, in many of our churches, we have people that are not saved. And that's why they want Starbucks in the, in, the, in the church. That's why they want a McDonald's there. That's why they want a rock band. That's why they want all this stuff. You know why? Because they're really not saved and their appetites are the appetites of the world. And they're not really interested in Christ. If you come to our assembly, you know, the only thing we've got going for us is Christ. That's it. <laughs> we don't have anything else. If you don't like Him, you won't like our assembly. But I want to tell you, if you love the Lord Jesus you will love visiting our assembly. Because that's all we're into. <laughs> we're really into him. We think he's wonderful. And all I'm saying is this, that, that sometimes what we do is we cater to the appetites of the tares, and meanwhile the wheat are frustrated <laughs> because they want Christ. 
And so what I'm saying is that that's why it's important to nail your colors to the mast. Because, uh, and for us to, to discern, that's why they've got these 12 men checking out the pedigree. Are they really of that tribe? Can they really establish their pedigree? And we need to be able to establish that. That's why we need reception policies in our assemblies to check that people are really truly saved. I remember preaching in an assembly, I won't say where it was, and I I really had a burden this morning to preach the gospel. And the elders said to me, don't preach the gospel here, we're all Christians, we want ministry. I said, you better get another preacher. I am convinced God wants me to give a gospel message. Well, it's kind of interesting. Uh, Well, they didn't want to get another preacher, it's a bit short notice. And so they said, well, you can preach the gospel, we're all saved. You know, I hadn't even finished preaching and a lady got up from that auditorium, walked to the front in tears and received Christ as a savior. She knew the hymns. She knew scripture verses. She could quote scripture verses. Everybody was convinced that she was a Christian, but she knew she wasn't. But she was that morning. She passed from death to life. And so what we're saying is, just because you don't mean anything, what, what really matters is this. Do you know, can you prove your heritage? Now, I want you to notice something else. Um, uh, that um, the end of chapter 1, verse 47, it tells us, But the Levites, after the tribe of their fathers, were not numbered among them. For the Lord had spoken to Moses, saying, Only thou shalt not number the tribe of Levi, neither take the sum of them among the children of Israel, but thou shalt appoint the Levites over the tabernacle of testimony and over all the vessels thereof and over all things that belong to it. They shall bear the tabernacle and all the vessels thereof and they shall minister to it and shall encamp round about the tabernacle. And when the tabernacle is set forward, the Levites shall take down. And when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. The stranger that cometh nigh shall be put to death. And the children of Israel shall pitch their tents, every man by his own camp, every man by his own standard throughout their hosts. But the Levites shall pitch round about the tabernacle of testimony that there be no wrath upon the congregation of the children of Israel. And the Levites shall keep the charge of the tabernacle of testimony. And so what we're saying is there's a distinction here. The, the 12 tribes, and remember that the tribe of Joseph was divided into two, Ephraim and Manasseh, so that gives us 12 still. They were surrounding the tabernacle uh, in terms of protection of it. They were the warriors. But then in the middle of that, there was the group called the Levites. They were not to go to war. Their job was to care for the sanctuary. And that was their responsibility. But I want to tell you something, that as a Christian, God wants you to be both a warrior and also a worshiper in the sanctuary. Because you see, as well as being a warrior in the battles of the Lord, where also every believer is a priest. And so we have the privilege in a sense, I mean, they, were, they had a clear demarcation. You're either a warrior or you're involved in the sanctuary work. But we have the privilege of doing both. And it's a wonderful thing. What a privilege it is today to be a believer priest. I want to tell you something. When I was a little boy, I grew up in a Catholic church and I was very enamored by the priest. And uh, in fact, I was so enamored by the priest and all that he did that I actually got a cardboard box and I put it in my bedroom and I put a white cloth on it. And I used to pretend that I was a priest. A little prayer book and you know I used to kind of act like a little you know what when I got saved in June of 81 
I no longer have to pretend that I'm a priest. I really am. I can enter into the heavenly sanctuary and worship any time I want. Isn't that a wonderful thing? What a blessing it is to be a priest unto God. And if you're a believer this morning, 1 Peter 2 tells us that we're a holy priesthood. Every believer is a priest. And every believer has right of access to the very sanctuary of God. What a privilege that is. And at the same time, we have a privilege of being a soldier and a warrior for the Lord. I tell you, we're so blessed today, aren't we? To be involved in the conflict of the ages, uh, that, that he would want me on his side. I find that remarkable. I was once his enemy, right? And, and now I'm on his side, on his team, actually damaging the enemy. Isn't that a tremendous thing? And at the same time, anytime I want to draw near, I can go into the very sanctuary of God. Not because of anything special, but we can enter boldly into the sanctuary, the heavenly sanctuary, by the blood of the Lord Jesus. On the basis of His merits, we can go into the sanctuary. And what a privilege it is. And so, the emphasis too, by the way, in verse 53, and I want to mention this, um, uh, it says that the Levites... um, Oh, sorry, 51 is probably a better one. It says, When the tabernacle sets forward, the Levite shall take it down. When the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levite shall set it up. The stranger that comes nigh shall be put to death. Now, it sounds kind of a little bit, uh, you know, kind of dramatic, doesn't it? I mean, that, that these Levites, any stranger that dared to approach the sanctuary was to be put to death. And part of the thought was this, that... The holiness of God was in the midst of the people. You know, I think that the contemporary church has forgotten the holiness of God. God is still holy. Calvary did not in any way diminish the holiness of God. It established the holiness of God, didn't it? If God had to do that, be that drastic in dealing with His Son, it tells us that He's serious about holiness, doesn't it? And so sometimes, folks, I think we've, we've, in these casual days in which we live, we have forgotten the holiness of God and the holiness of God's sanctuary. Because there's no question, when Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says to them, ye, plural, are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells among you. That's true, isn't it? We are the sanctuary of God. We're the dwelling place of God. We're the temple of God. And the temple of God is holy. And he says, anybody who seeks to destroy the temple of God, him will God destroy. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. I've witnessed divine judgment on an individual who on several occasions tried to destroy an assembly and he was destroyed. And it was so evidently the judgment of God. Not a person who knew that person had a single doubt. The sanctuary of God is holy. God is holy. And we need to kind of re-grasp this truth of the holiness of God. And I think part of it is our neglect of the Old Testament has allowed us to, we've almost got this view that there's two gods, there's the Old Testament deity and there's the New Testament. There isn't. There's one God, right? And the, 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 you can't understand your New Testament without the Old Testament. 
you're going to get it wrong every time. Uh, there's so many quotations and allusions and references to the Old Testament. And the books fit together just like a glove. That's why we know this is the Word of God, the way it fits together. And so um, we could say this, that, uh, uh, that God is still holy. And uh, His sanctuary is still holy. We need to be aware of that. Now notice verse 54, it says, The children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so did they. I said yesterday, this is a refrain. It goes through these first 10 chapters over and over again. That, that, that as God sets the order in the camp, there, there clearly is this idea that, that they were obedient to this, this order as God sets it out. And so first 10 chapters are wonderful in a sense of obedience. Now, I, I mentioned this chart, and as we look at it, one thing that I want you to get just in our closing moments, I want you to get this picture. That in the center... All the tribes are round about, but in the center is the sanctuary of God. And if we don't get anything else from this, let's get this. Their lives were really centered on the house of God. When they opened their tent in the morning, you know what the first thing they saw as they opened their tent? It was the sanctuary of God. And the whole idea was this, that the church is not meant to be a kind of an add-on to your life. It isn't. It's meant to be central to your life. I, I spoke recently and somebody was asking, uh, the, the person I spoke with, and he, he, he introduced himself and he said, I am passionate about young people. And so he, he and of course he is, and I praise the Lord for him. And he's a wonderful ministry. And so he said, that's what I'm passionate about. So then, because I had to get up and they said, well, what are you passionate about? I'll tell you what I'm passionate about, the church. You know something? God doesn't have a plan B. Uh, now, I'm going to be careful how I say this, but I'm going to say it anyway, because I really don't care. But I mean, but um, parachurch, the word para is a very interesting word. You've heard of parasite, haven't you? A parasite sucks life from a body and gives nothing back to it. That's what a parasite is. Now, I'm not saying that all parachurch organizations are like that. I'm not saying that. Some of them are wonderful, and we thank God for them. What I'm saying is that there's a danger, and I've, I've been part of this. I was in an organization, and my identity was connected with that organization. If you asked me what I was, I would have given you an answer, and it wouldn't have been, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian. It would have been, I am with this organization. And there were people that I knew, good friends of mine in that organization, who were so caught up with the work of that organization. And one of the things they even taught was church principles. But they never actually went to church. Because that organization had become their, their life, their identity. And folks, that's a dangerous place to be at. Let me tell you something. God has no plan B. God says this, the Lord Jesus, Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I want to say, God hasn't changed his mind. You may have had a bad experience in church. Maybe you did. I don't know. I, I meet people like that all the time. And you know what I say to them? God has no plan B. He doesn't. I'm sorry. That's it. And, and the, these people, their lives, 
I mean, revolved around the sanctuary. The sanctuary was in the center place in their lives. And, and I believe the local assembly should be the central place of our lives. That's where we use our gifts. That's where we, we encourage the saints. That's, that's, our lives should be revolving around that. But so often today, for many of us, it's my, my career, my family, my leisure time. And then if there's anything left, <laughs> you know, if the wind's blowing the right direction and the sun is shining, I might just go to the meeting. <laughs> you know how it is. Folks, you can't build a New Testament church without absolute commitment. It doesn't work. We, we don't have a professional staff who can make it look good. <laughs> if we're not committed, it's a disaster. Now, what we need is believers who are committed to what Christ is committed to. The church. And that needs to be central in our lives. And so I want to encourage you this morning on two fronts. One, settle the issue of your pedigree. <laughs> Make sure, because if, if, if your pedigree is not right, you're not going to be interested in the church. Anyway, so you've got to settle that first. Do you know that you know that you know that you're saved? Secondly, if you are saved, are you really in the will of God biblically? Let me tell you something. I can tell you what God's will is for your life. I'm not being arrogant or presumptuous. I can just tell you. God's will is for you to be like Jesus Christ. Right? He has predestinated you to be conformed to the image of His Son. But if you're indifferent about the church, you can't be like the Lord Jesus. You know why? Because my Bible tells me, zeal for the house of God ate him up. John 2, 17. My Savior was consumed with the house of God. And if, if God wants me to be like his son, I cannot be like his son if I'm apathetic and indifferent about the church. Let me tell you something. There's nothing apathetic and indifferent about my Savior. Nothing. So can I ask you, do people describe you and say, you have a zeal for the house of God? Do your assembly of elders look at you and say, what a brother, he's just got such a zeal for the house of God. If, if that doesn't categorize you, you're not like my Savior. And God's will is for you to be my, like my Savior. So you need to make adjustments. Today would be a good day to start making some adjustments, wouldn't it? To bring your life in conformity to the will of God. Because there's no better place to be than in the center of the will of God. Amen. No better place. And that's my prayer for you and for myself. That not only we'll be there, we'll stay there in the center of the will of God. The center of the will of God is that we know our pedigree and that our lives revolve around the house of God. Let's pray. Father, we just ask that you would speak very clearly, very loudly to our hearts today. Lord, we realize that human persuasion is powerless unless your Holy Spirit takes the word and makes it real and living. Oh, Father, I pray if there's one here that, that just is not sure about their pedigree. They cannot say with assurance, I know whom I've believed. Lord, I, I just ask that they won't leave this, this conference ground, this auditorium even, without settling the issue and knowing that they really belong to Thee. Father, we're thankful for the privileges You've allowed us to not only be involved in the wars of the Lord, 
but also to enter any time we wish as Christians, born-again believers, into the heavenly sanctuary as believer priests. Oh God, we're so privileged, so blessed, and we're thankful that it's because of your Son, the Lord Jesus, that we can enjoy these privileges. We just worship and adore him as the one who's altogether lovely in his own precious name. Amen. <laughs>